of the European Parliament, who's at the center of a corruption scandal, has been told she must remain in custody for another month. The Greek MEP, Eva Kaili, denies accepting corrupt payments from Qatar in returning, return for providing political support. Qatar denies wrongdoing. Here's the BBC's Paul Moss. Eva Kaili was hoping to get bail. One of the four who's been charged has been released on bail. Two, including her husband, have been held in custody. She went into court and insisted again that she was innocent. She offered to be released with an electronic bracelet. This is one of these things which would mean that people could tag her wherever she was. But it seems that the court has refused. Now, bear in mind, this is a woman who's renowned for living a somewhat flashy lifestyle. So she will be spending Christmas behind bars. The U.S. Senate has approved a huge government spending program with strong bipartisan support. The bill needs the approval of the House of Representatives to avoid a shutdown of the U.S. federal government. The BBC's Anthony Zerker reports from Washington. The $1.66 trillion budget was approved on a 68-29 bipartisan vote and contains measures that will satisfy and anger Democrats and Republicans. The bill boosts both domestic and defense spending in the coming year. It includes changes to retirement programs and health care systems for the poor. It reforms the means by which Congress certifies presidential elections, the focus of considerable attention during Donald Trump's attempts to contest his 2020 presidential defeat. It also includes $45 billion in aid for Ukraine. The House is expected to approve the bill, sending it to the president's desk before current government funding authorization expires at midnight on Friday. Nearly 4,000 flights have been cancelled across the United States over the next two days as a fierce winter storm sweeps through the country and parts of Canada. Forecasters are calling it a once-in-a-generation cold snap and say it could bring the coldest Christmas in decades, with temperatures in some areas dropping to minus 45 degrees Celsius. That's the news from RTHK. National station for an international city. This is Radio 3. Good morning, it's 8.05 in Hong Kong on December the 23rd. This is your last day of obsessing about filthy lucre before taking a few days off for family and loved ones. But in the meantime, the markets are open and it's game on. Let's have some money talk. It's a strange time we're having when good economic numbers make politicians crow and traders rush to sell. Unemployment lower than expected, good retail sales, probably more inflation and more Fed rate hikes, so sell. That's exactly what happened, as new numbers in the U.S. show a tight labor market, with Fed Chair Powell projecting musings about, quote, a structural labor shortage out there. But no more strange than when easy money propelled the markets to new heights, as Main Street businesses tanked during the pandemic. So there you have it. Tesla led market drops overnight, falling over 9% as it announced steep discounts up to 7500 U.S. dollars on new vehicles. Some analysts think Musk's recent Twitter and other antics are hurting the brand's cool factor, deterring some buyers. All this means, according to Mark Fields, former CEO of Ford, that Tesla may be facing demand issues instead of supply issues, limiting its growth. Piling on, U.S. Senator Wyden is after them. And GM uh, in the U.S. Senate's Finance Committee about supply chains and forced labor in China. Analysis at Reuters suggested banker bonuses are going to be down, way down, from the record highs last year. M&A deals and IPO underwriting are down and down. The data is for London and New York, 
but reports in Hong Kong have also suggested a drop by 50% or even 100% to zero in many cases. So if you're used to selling cases of champagne to these guys for their New Year's Eve parties, you better start calling your other thirsty customers. It's going to be tricky business in 2023, so we're bringing you the experienced operators to make sense of it all. What you need is a super concentration of Andrews. And we're bringing you the third this week as we're joined by Andrew Freris, CEO of Econosis Advisory. To finish my money talk here on a high note, we have the irrepressible, the legend, the one and only Casey Lau, head of Asia for Rise, which is part of Web Summit, the world's biggest and most glamorous the startup and tech event. We'll be getting his take on tech and media in 2023. So get your questions ready for Casey and Andrew Ferris by sending us an email, moneytalk at rthk.hk, or uh, hit us on Facebook, Money Talk on RTHK Radio 3. Let's do this, Money Talkers. Money Talk on RTHK Radio 3. All right, looking at the markets, we had a decent day in Asia, not so great everywhere else. God did not bless American markets as the major indices fell. The Dow was down 1%, and the Rust 2K fell 1.3%, the S&P 1.5%, and the NASDAQ plummeted 2.2%. Only the volatility index, the VIX, picked up almost 10%, indicating more bumpy roads ahead. The TSX dropped 1.1% with technology, a major component of the exchange, and base metals leading the way down. The Pan-European Stock 600 Index and the CAC are both down about 1%, while the DAX and Italian FTSE are down 1.3%. The British FTSE dropped about 0.4%. Automobile shares in Europe continue to lead losses with tech not far behind. While the Shanghai Composite tracked down 0.5%, and the Shenzhen component was down 0.3%, actually the rest of Asia was looking good. The Nikkei picked up 0.5%, and the Kospi rose 1.2%. But the star of the day was the Hang Seng Index, bringing some Christmas cheer to Hong Kong with a 2.7% jump and threatening the $20,000 mark. Uh, 20,000 points, Mark, but don't get too excited. The futures index for today is predicting a drop of 400 points plus. Uh, Looking at oil, Brent crude is down 0.74%, but West Texas Intermediate is holding steady, only down 0.1%. But natural gas dropped 5.3%. Arbob gas, which makes up about 30% of American gasoline, is up 0.4%. The same is true for USLD HO, or the heating oil index, as the Bombogenesis Cyclone Elliott is about to make this the coldest Christmas for decades in central Canada and the American East Coast. It's all about nuance in the oil market, so pay attention to the end of the year. Metals were down a lot yesterday, with palladium bucking the trend by rising 0.22%. Platinum and silver were both down more than 2%. Copper dropped 1.2%. Spot gold dropped 1.5% with good economic news out of the U.S. suggesting more Fed rate hikes on the horizon. Analyst Ross Norman warns of exaggerated moves on thin trading volumes over the holidays, as many traders are already out for the holidays. Bonds. The 10-year bond yields fell across the board with the exception of the UK 10-year bonds picking up slightly. The US dollar index was up as it gained against the loonie, the euro, the pound, and the Swiss franc. Only the Japanese yen held its ground and the Aussie buck picked up half a percent. Oi, oi, oi. Bitcoin is holding steady and Ethereum is up 0.5% in 24-hour trading. Cardano is trying to recover from a tough week and is up 1.6% in the past day. Same as Tron, not the Disney one. Uh, looking at our markets right now, the Australian stock exchange is trending down. It was up yesterday 0.53% as Aussie Foreign Minister Penny Wong met China's Wang Yi to play nice and improve trade relations. But right now, not looking so great. 
Locally, the Hang Seng Futures Index is looking like it might lose some of yesterday's joy, showing a negative 419 points, like I said before. And those are your markets on Money Talk. All right, uh, we listened to the, the uh, people in, and they told us not enough Andrews. So, of course, uh, we had Andrew Work this week, uh, yours truly, uh, Andrew Sullivan earlier, and now we are welcoming a regular Andrew Freres, CEO of Econosis Advisory, coming to us from Montevideo. Good morning. Good evening, actually, and good morning. <laughs> <laughs> good evening, where you are. are. Wow, very exotic. And we're going we're to get into you know, why you're over there a little bit later in the, the segment, but um, first of all, Andrew, new data out of the U.S. is showing strong labor markets, terrible housing starts, decent consumer spending. Cornerstone companies had good reportings, but it seems like nobody's happy about more people having jobs. It's signed to sell. Tell us why well, course, good news is bad news. Let's not forget, a strong economy is, is incredibly instantly bad news because the Fed will continue to increase interest rates. Remember, the Fed is concerned about inflation, and that inflation has nothing to do or very little to do with the war in Ukraine or with steeply rising energy prices, which were for a while an important factor. The rest of it is purely domestic. So anything that looks good domestically, uh, it's bad. Well, it is bad for interest rates. So I'm afraid it's, uh, it's hardly uh, Nobel Prize winning economics. It yeah. is simply, okay, that uh, strangely enough, good news for the economy is, is bad news for the economy. Okay. So it's bad news for the stock market. Yes, I mean, if the flip, if the flip side was true, if, if it was like terrible, how, you know, labor, labor unemployment was picking up, consumer spending was down, would the markets cheer and go the other way? Yes, absolutely. You'll see that uh, Fed is not going to hit us with another 75, or at least it will be 175, and then that will be it, and the markets will be happy. Yeah, this is, this is not by no means the first time that uh, to a layman it seems that uh, uh, market participants are standing upside down on their heads. So, you know, nothing looks the way that it looks from their point of view, right? Right. I mean, at the beginning of the pandemic, uh, you know, everybody was, you know, supposedly going out of business. Uh, things were really bad. Uh, you know, the governments flooded the, the economies with money and the stock market went through the roof. I mean, <laughs> how, how detached are the markets from the real economy now? Well, strangely enough, actually, and I have to be very careful here, uh, the impact on the economies of the COVID was important. It was a relatively temporary but it had very important side effects in terms of very large increases in fiscal deficits, the maintenance of very low interest rates for a time period that uh, would have been sorted by two years had the COVID not taken place. And then the cherry on the cake is the Ukraine war that uh, accelerated inflation, which has nothing to do with the internal pressures of the economy, but with the shortage of petrol. So all these had a strange both cyclical and non-cyclical effect. If you take China, however, all of it is completely man-made. China was not affected at all by the Ukraine war because its dependence on, uh, on, on oil and on uh, liquid gas from uh, Russia, such as it is, was not really affected. Okay? It had uh, no impact. There were no, uh, let's say, financial consequences uh, uh, directed at China. But the only thing that was a problem with China, it was a completely closed economy, both domestically and externally. And this was to fight COVID. With the benefit of the hindsight, it was not a good idea, but at the time, 
it was the best idea that the government could think. And that, of course, crushed the economy. Nothing to do with cycle. Man-made, which means that if a fairy, uh, my sort of fairy godmother appeared and waved its wand and the COVID disappeared overnight, the Chinese would simply lift everything overnight. So as China... Time goes, it would have been off to the races. I'm sorry, I don't want to sound trite, but the global economy is such a mixture of things that actually people talking about it seriously, that we're all going to die and so on, and that uh, the capitalism has finished this completely, they miss completely the point. The second biggest economy in the world is suffering because the government said so. Rightly at the time, I mean, this is not a criticism. That was with the benefit of hindsight. It was not a good idea, but at the time, it was the best they could think. And that slapped the economy down. Nothing to do with cycle. I mean, you know, I tend to trend a little bit on the Austrian side, and we've been waiting for the uh, waiting for the other shoe to drop with all the all the government spending and the easy money. Um, I mean, everybody's talking about a short recession. What's your What's your take on all this? Or these men? Yeah. Yeah, um, I'm afraid I have no idea what the short recession is. Okay. Mm. Uh, <laughs> yeah. It's a long recession. Yeah. Um, it, it, everything is so relative that uh, also the word recession is what two quarters back to back of uh, minus uh, GDP growth? I mean, what do you mean by recession? For me, recession is one year of negative growth. I'm sticking to that. Mm -hmm. Okay, well, uh, the European Union already had it for two years running. The United States really didn't have. China will definitely will not have it. It will have a low thing. So from my point of view, okay, the only uh, 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 poor freezing Europeans may very well have a recession in the sense that the two years running may just continue a little bit longer. Uh, that's my definition of recession. Okay. So I know. Some will have something different. So, Andrew, you're, you're down in Montevideo, Uruguay right now. I know you've got emerging markets on your mind, uh, you know, and I think maybe they've been overlooked, but not by you. What, what do you got? What are you, what, are you, what, are you, what are you looking at in terms of emerging markets right now? What I'm looking in terms is the fact that their overall behavior has been really extremely diversified and very different. And it is just not true that particularly Asian markets all followed the, the, the Fed blindly and they increased interest rates by 75 bits at a time. But that's definitely not true, except for Hong Kong, because we've got a backed currency. Uh, Indonesia did strangely well. Uh, so did, in fact, uh, Singapore, both in terms of the economy and in terms of inflation and in terms of the behavior of, of, of the currency. And then, of course, if you turn to Latin America, you had some amazing factors. Brazil, till about June, was doing brilliantly. The real was amazingly strong, and the Evo Bespa, the market, was the single market in the world that was up by big numbers, 13 14% year to date, in US dollar terms. Wow! Hey, come again, Brazil? Okay, in the middle also of a, quite a political uh, conundrum with Bolsonaro losing the elections. Yeah, well, it happens. Also, Uruguay, my favorite little place, you can think of Uruguay as, uh, let's say, Yorkshire with parrots. Okay, it's something Yorkshire like that. with parrots, I love it. With parrots, okay, for, for the English people there, out there. Uh, also, they have an amazingly strong currency, actually much stronger than the real. Why? It's because they are major exporters of soya, and uh, Christmas has come incredibly early this time in Uruguay. They are saying that there is no tomorrow. They are receiving a huge amount of U.S. dollars. But, of course, all their costs and taxes and so on are done in pesos. So they have to, guess what, buy peso by selling U.S. dollars. And the peso is amazingly strong. Hmm. 
So, yeah. Strange so, things. I mean, not everything is what it seems. Mind you, Uruguay is 3 million. It's a tiny part of the economy. So I wouldn't for one moment say that people should be paying attention to that because there will be very little to buy in terms of the stock market. But Brazil, goodness me, you know, this was completely lost. That, that the real was, was, was going sky high whilst the US dollar was also going sky high. Huh? Come again? It's not supposed to do that. Well, it did. <laughs> I, mean, we're suppo- I mean, all we ever seem to hear out of uh, Latin America on this side of the world is, you know, uh, political conflict in Brazil, uh, ousting of the president in Peru. Um, do you think a lot of people missed out on some of the upside there? Well, definitely, if, uh, if you had a keen observer in, uh, in Brazil, they would have guessed early on that the commodity prices was going to make a huge amount of difference. As I said, forget Uruguay because there's very little to buy in the stock market, but in Brazil there was. And for the first half of the year, good money would have been made, and I repeat, in U.S. dollar terms. Okay, Argentina is a different case altogether, a completely different case altogether, although structurally it's not similar to Brazil, major exporter of soya, of meat, of, uh, uh, of uh, uh, dairy produce, okay, and of course a substantial producer of oil, so it's not by no means self-sufficient, but they have a terrible problems with inflation, they are serial defaulters, uh, they just about manage almost to default on uh, on uh, the the IMF. They are still uh, depending on external borrowing, and uh, the peso. Just to give you an idea, three years ago, it used to be about fifty to the US dollar. Now it's one hundred and seventy. <laughs> Wow. I mean, I, you know, I have to be honest, as a bit of a, a, an amateur aspiring economist, uh, I thought Argentina's national sport was electing politicians that default on their national debt. But it turns out they play some football, too. And you were in Buenos Aires and you just had a really interesting post on your LinkedIn page about semiotics and football. Do you, give us a quick hit before we go. Well, uh, very, very briefly, OK, football is something that attacks the passion of not just the Latins. Remember, the British, the French, the Italians, the cool Norwegians, all of them can go absolutely goo-goo when it comes to to football. And it is a strange tribal effect because there is no money, no whatever, any any physical or or actual benefits involved, other pride. And that pride transcends everything else. And it can get quite serious in terms of physical violence. So I try to analyze what I call it, the semiotics of the football, in other words, the signs of football. And people are, in fact, obsessed by signs because the majority of the football players, uh, in a lot of cases, they're not even nationals for the national team they're playing. Hmm. FIFA has a very special rule, okay, but apparently sometimes it can be bypassed, so the national team doesn't necessarily have naturally born players. They may have naturalized players or players whose parents were naturalized. So the national team very frequently ain't national. And then, of course, the moment the World Cup finishes, all these guys disappear to Real Madrid, uh, to Manchester United, okay? And there are Bolivians, Peruvians, Colombians, and most definitely Brazilians and Argentinians. It's a strange thing. Effectively, it has, it has no national barriers, but it has extremely tight national following. And I find this hugely contradictory. <laughs> <laughs> Which makes it interesting, as you always are, Andrew Ferris, uh, on Money Talk. We'll look forward to having you back on the show in 2023. Uh, Andrew Ferris, CEO of Econosis Advisory. Merry Christmas, Happy New Year, and thanks for being on the show. Keep inviting me. Keep inviting me. <laughs> we Bye. will.
All right. Uh, good times with Andrew Ferris, CEO of Econosis Advisory. Uh, we're going to our last guest for me. Of course, uh, Money Talk will be on next week uh, after the holiday days. Uh, but the last one for me, uh, having an, an old friend on, uh, a legend in the tech and media scene in Hong Kong, in Asia, and around the world. He's Casey Lau, head of Asia for Rise and Web Summit. Casey, thanks for coming on the show. First time? Hey. Good morning, Andrew. How are you? I'm doing great. I'm doing great. I'm glad you're back in Hong Kong. I've been following your Instagram as you uh, fell in love with uh, your hometown of Vancouver again during COVID <laughs> as you traveled to Silicon Valley, Lisbon for Web Summit. I mean, uh, you've been everywhere and you've got your eye on the tech scene and tech startups around the world. What's yep. coming in 2023? What's hot? What's hot? Well, I guess uh, one of the reasons why I came back to Hong Kong um, is uh, the Web3 uh, scene. I think Web3 is going to be massive next year. Um, and so I, and especially here in Asia, and so I think now it's the time to be back here for ground zero as everything starts to open up across Asia. Oh, fantastic. Well, I'm glad, you've, I'm glad that you've, you're, you're feeling optimistic about what's happening out here. Um, what else have you been picking up from your, from your travels to, uh, you know, some of the big events in Silicon Valley and California? Well, I guess, you know, at the, whole, the whole world is, you know, kind of down, right? So it's not just because of the crypto market, but, you know, tech stocks are down. Everybody's kind of down. So... But the thing is, remember uh, the banking crisis, you know, it's also a similar model. And that time, a lot of new startups were born that have become superstar uh, companies today. So I definitely wouldn't sleep on this. I'd definitely be out there looking at all kinds of tech companies. You know, obviously, AI is getting very exciting. The Web3 stuff is getting exciting. Hong Kong has done a lot of interesting things since I came back with all these startups I've been meeting. So I think there's a lot of stuff happening, and this is the time that people build. And though it may seem quiet in the media, I think it's exciting to be back here and just checking out what's being uh, developed here. Yeah. Do you think the, the venture cap and private equity guys are going to be – I mean, the last couple of years, uh, the last 10 years, there's been a lot of money thrown around. Uh, is this is this going to be a year when uh, – is this going to be one of those years where people, you know, hopefully they have cash in the bank so they can ride out a bit of a funding uh, slowdown? Or yeah, do you def- think well, yeah definitely. That's for sure, I think. Um, that's definitely happening right now. As you see, a lot of the big companies, even like Meta, laying off tons of people. And even in Singapore, they're at their office here in Asia. So I think that's going to be like that, a lot of belt tightening. But, you know, that's what happens, right? That's what happened last time. A lot of people got fired, and then they started their own startups. And then you've got companies like uh, Airbnb, uh, DoorDash. you got all these amazing companies out there that started. So I think that uh, it's, it's sad right now, and it, it seems very depressing. But I think, uh, you know, this is like the third tech cycle, right, that you and I have seen here in Hong Kong. So I feel like... Um, it just if history repeats, of course, it'll be back up in the next six, eight months. Yeah, and if you've got your eye on media, what what media platforms and media types are going to be big? Um, for media, I am very bullish, of course, on Web three decentralized content. Right, so I host a podcast called The Hyper Room, where I talk to a lot of these creative people working in Web three and how that they create communities around the content they're building. And being decentralized, they're not going to be on like one single platform. So I think, as you've probably seen on Twitter, there's a, a lot of a discourse going on because there's one person that owns it, and it's like becoming kind of a, a mess. So what happens when communities build a media platform and are able to bring what they want to see onto that platform? I think that's something to look at uh, going forward. Yeah, I mean, Mastodon's one that I've been looking into just, just a little bit. You know, and they talk about how like a right. decentralized structure as, as an answer to Twitter. Um, what about content? What about content kings? I mean, you, you're you're kind of the master of content as well. I know you've got your eye on whatever anything Disney's putting out on the Marvel side, the Star Wars side, uh, other more niche areas. What what are you what are you picking for hot content in 2023? Well, I think it's going to be the same. I know I just read the like top top movies of next year, and they're all sequels, right? You're going to see a sequel to Indiana Jones even that's <laughs> coming out next year, and the, and the finale of the Marvel 
Cinematic Universe, I guess, with the uh, Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 3. That kind of ends that whole chapter for, you know, the ones that we grew up on with Iron Man. And that, that and then it goes forward into a more diverse group of characters, right? So I still think Metaverse and content like that is still not going to be fully formed yet. But people are still moving into that space. And you'll see a lot more exciting and interesting things that will then be able to, you know, rebound new content ideas, you know, 2024, 2025. Yeah, I know Warner Brother Discovery was up 2% yesterday, but I mean, that's that's one day in the markets. I mean, do you not yep. think maybe the Marvel franchise in particular has exhausted their, their run? Are people going to keep showing up? Uh, yeah, I yeah I think even as a diehard Marvel fan, I feel like it's going to be it's going to be a test. You know, even this last phase, a lot of people are disappointed with what happened in it. Uh, but I feel like uh, you know, don't don't count. Uh, it's like don't count on don't count James Cameron now. Don't count getting Feige out. Um, I think Warner Brothers and DC have made a big play of bringing James Gunn in and to redefine the uh, DC universe. So they're recasting Superman. They're going to bring in all these new actors to play the characters in the future. I think there's a new uh, hope uh, going forward there. So Warner Brothers could be up. Uh, Marvel could be buoying Disney shares. Uh, how about video games? I mean, m most of what I've seen of video game headlines lately has been bizarrely antitrust, which I mean, uh, frankly, you know, personal opinion being injected here. I think antitrust has got no place in video games. But what do you think of the, the platforms of the franchises that we can look forward to, to succeeding next year? I think, I think video games, the way I'm looking at it now, especially with this uh, current deal with Activision, right, it's like... Um, the, the players, the users are very, very vocal, right? They didn't like NFTs, so the NFTs got shot down. They don't like this merger. They don't like to be uh, nickel and dime. They don't like to be, they just want to play their games. So I don't know, that in the few, next year is going to be very, um, uh, still rocky uh, for going forward, right? Even with the content uh, streamers, right? There's going to be a strike next year, a writer's strike next year. It's going to slow down a lot of content production. So does video games take advantage of that or... You know, because it's not like they can just whip out a game like super quickly, right? They yeah. still have to. Uh, so everything that's planned for 2023, we're going to see a lot of shakeups and a lot of uh, things that you wouldn't expect to be popular next year to be popular. Okay. Uh, very quickly, before we go, uh, you're going to bring Rise back to Hong Kong. Uh, I know a lot of people are waiting for that or are anxious for it. But uh, 2024, how, how come you're not coming back sooner? Give us more. Yeah, I know. Exactly. Right. Everybody's asking to come back next year uh, as Hong Kong opens up. It's so exciting now. But, uh, you know, these shows. Don't, they're not turned on in a few months, right? Yeah. They take a year of planning. We're going to be moving to the new venue, Asia World, instead of the convention center. And, uh, as, you know, as you can see, the development out there is incredible, right? So when we come back in 2024, well, not only the new venue, but a whole new, like, area out there. Um, so I think it's going to be exciting. Plus, you know, Asia will be much more open and ready for uh, more big, bigger discussions. We're doing Brazil in next year in, wow. in replacement, and we're going to do uh, we're doing Toronto and Lisbon again. And then we'll we'll circle back in Hong Kong 2024. I'm very excited. I hope you are I, as well because well, it's going to be big. Pumped up for that. Casey Lau, head of Asia Verizon Web Summit. Thank you for joining us. Send down Philock. Merry Christmas, Casey. Thanks for coming on the show. You're listening to Money Talk on RTHK Radio 3. All right, people, this is my last hit of the year on RTHK. I'm going to give you the markets. Uh, Nikkei and Kospi and ASX are looking down, which is not great. Your Hong Kong Futures Index is uh, looks to be heading in the same direction. And looks like Bitcoin and Ether are trading up right now. So there's a little bit of good news for the crypto fans. Uh, later on, we've got uh, back chat coming up with Janice Wong and Brian Wong. I also want to say thank you and Merry Christmas to our producer, Christy Lai, and the sound man, Song Wing Ming. Uh, my New Year's resolution is to get Money Talk more often on Christy's other show, The Week on Three, her roundup of the best of the week on RTHK, uh, English language, as often as I can get us on there. So you can catch that Saturday mornings at 8.30, and of course, always on the online 
archives. We are back next week. Uh, Money Talk with Jim Ross closing out the years. Peter Lewis is still on holiday. Your weather today, fine and dry, cool in the morning, max temperature around 20 degrees, so a little bit warmer now. Uh, the temperature now is 15 degrees Celsius and 36% humidity. The time is now 8.30 and now the news with Tom Warden of the Elves, Santa Claus himself. Premier Lee Kachang says the central government fully recognizes the work Chief Executive John Lee has done since he took office six months ago. The two men sat down for a meeting on the second day of Mr. Lee's first duty visit to Beijing. The Premier said the SAR government has responded to the concerns of Hong Kong people and revived the local economy. He said Hong Kong's destiny was intertwined with that of the nation. I hope the SAR government will unite and lead Hong Kong people to more fully utilize the unique advantages of the Hong Kong SAR when integrating into the national development. In response, the chief executive thanked the premier for his support, saying he and his team have the same aspirations to develop the economy and improve people's livelihoods. An NGO that offers expressive arts therapy to improve people's mental well-being says demand for its services has surged this year amid the fifth wave of the pandemic. The Hong Kong Expressive Arts Therapy Service Center says the number of those seeking assistance increased by two to three times from May to July as people struggled to readjust to their daily life and work routines after the number of COVID infections peaked. The center says it had to recruit more therapists to cope with demand. Expressive Arts Therapy allows people to share their feelings in forms such as drawing, writing and music. Kanatang is the center's founder. Clients that we um, came across before, uh, emotional disturbances would tell us that uh, it's very difficult for them to use verbal language to express their own emotions. But uh, using uh, expressive arts, they can choose whatever art form that is uh, con mo connect themselves mostly to express their own emotions. A court in New York has agreed to release the founder of the failed cryptocurrency exchange FTX on payment of $250 million U.S. dollars bail. Sam Bankman-Fried will also have to stay at his parents' home as he awaits trial on fraud charges. The BBC's Samira Hossein reports from New York. In his first court appearance since being extradited to the U.S., Bankman-Fried agreed to surrender his passport in exchange for home detention in California with his parents. Prosecutors said that Sam Bankman-Fried perpetrated a fraud of epic proportions. He is accused of defrauding investors of billions of dollars. And all of this comes just a day after two of Bankman-Fried's colleagues have pleaded guilty to fraud and will now be cooperating with the investigation into the collapse of FTX. A former vice president of the European Parliament, who's at the center of a corruption scandal, has been told she must remain in custody for another month. A court in Brussels rejected a call by Eva Kiley to be released on bail. The BBC's Grant Ferret reports. Nearly two weeks after she was detained following police raids in which more than one and a half million dollars in cash was seized, Eva Kiley was hoping to be released. Lawyers for the Greek member of the European Parliament suggested she be freed with an electronic tracker to follow her movements. She denies accepting corrupt payments from Qatar in return for providing political support. The Gulf state also denies wrongdoing. 
three others have been charged, including Miss Kylie's Italian partner. Nearly 4,000 flights have been cancelled across the United States over the next two days as a fierce winter storm sweeps through the country and parts of Canada. Forecasters are calling it a once-in-a-generation cold snap and say it could bring the coldest Christmas in decades, with temperatures.